Fugglecast, episode 34 for April 8th, 2006. CYGoDaddy.com is the number one domain registrar worldwide. Now, with your domain name registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MongoCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N, when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just $6.95 a year. Get your piece of the internet today at GoDaddy.com. At USA Network, characters are welcome, and even you have what it takes to be a star. Can you believe that? Enter the 2006 Show Us Your Character contest to find out if you're America's most unique character and you could win a chance to be featured on the computer screen, the TV screen, and even the big screen. Enter now at showusyourcharacter.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Jamie Lawrence. Ben Shane is off practicing for his ACTs. Kevin Stack is in class, and um, who's the other one we missed? Oh, Mike Mike Tannenbaum is is off um, getting a job at CBS Sports. He's actually don't tell ESPN or wherever he works right now, but he's getting a full time job at is CBS it, my, Sports, I actually, which is guys, actually pretty impressive. It's very little known. Don't tell anybody here, but uh, Mike is replacing Katie Couric on the Today Show. Oh, that is great news! That is great. Thank topic. God. Yes, so we were saved. Everybody was saying, "What you know? What will today be like without Katie Couric?" And it's actually, well, Mike, Mike is going to be on there. Mike Tannenbaum and Matt Lauren. <laughs> yeah, but Andrew, right, well, Andrew, you've com- yes. you've you've completely done it now. He, he's he's going to be fired tomorrow. It's like <laughs> that scene out of Bruce Almighty. He's going to be chucked out, out of the uh, doors, and then all, and then a, a box of all this stuff just going to be thrown on top of them. <laughs> Poor Mike. Yeah. I hope you can live with yourself. <laughs> That's what he gets for telling me. Yeah. All right. Be- before we go anywhere else, first let's check in over at NBC Studios now. Apparently, for with Micah Tannenbaum for the past week's top Harry Potter news stories. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Bloomsbury, the publisher of the UK editions of the Potter books, posted profits of thirty-four point eight million dollars for two thousand and five. Sales of the sixth book, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, boosted profits twenty-four percent for the company. Thank you for listening to Bloomberg Financial News. In movie news, David Thewlis, who portrays Remus Lupin in the Harry Potter movies, recently discussed filming of the fifth film, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. He was quoted in Thursday's edition of the Belfast Telegraph saying, I'm really glad I'm going to see everybody again, and it'll be weird to see the kids grown up. I'm not sure how they're going to make the other films. It would be a shame not to have the same actors, but Rupert Grint, playing Ginger Ron, is going to be married with kids or something by the end. You know... Way to keep a positive outlook, Dave. Be sure to head over to MuggleNet.com as Dan Radcliffe has posted his most recent newsletter where he discusses filming Order of the Phoenix, working with David Yates and Imelda Staunton. And recently, Ivana Lynch's father sat down with MuggleNet to discuss how she's doing with filming, her meeting J.K. Rowling, and describes the interesting process Ivana went through to get the part of Luna Lovegood. It is official, Warner Brothers announced that Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix will hit movie theaters July 13th. 2007. Ooh, Friday the 13th. J.K. Rowling has been extremely busy on her website. She updated her diary section, where she tells the story of how she spent 45 minutes looking for normal writing paper in Edinburgh. Can somebody please build a Kinko's or a Staples out there so that Book 7 isn't delayed because J.K. Rowling couldn't find writing paper? Or better yet, Kinko's or Staples send tons of normal writing paper to J.K. Rowling. She also mentioned that the final book is going well. 
Recently, she visited Leaves Done Studios and caught up with some of the Order of the Phoenix cast, most of whom, she says, have outgrown her since she last saw them. And as mentioned earlier, Joe met with Ivana Lynch for roughly an hour and described her in one word. Perfect. Additionally, Joe mentioned our leaky mug April Fool's prank in her rumors section, which I didn't find particularly funny, and I'm still waiting for that toaster I gave as a wedding gift. She also wrote a fascinating article about today's weight-obsessed world, which can be found in the extras section. Finally, you can now view your Wombat results. Simply click on the student identification card found on Joe's desk, then enter your ID number, and a certificate revealing your results will appear. It seems as if more tests will be coming in the future. Basically, visit every section on jkrowling.com. That was the point of that part of the news. I don't even know why I just plugged her site, considering she only gave me an acceptable on the Wombat. That's all the news for this April 8th, 2006 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. All right. Thank you, Micah Tan. Uh, now moving on to a few announcements. Oh, yes. Here. I've been waiting for these. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's wrong? What's wrong? We're making them quick hey, now. Hey, Andrew, on. Andrew, Andrew, before you, uh, before you start the... Uh, Announcements, I've got one. I was just wondering if everyone could buy a T-shirt, a MuggleCast T-shirt. I know we haven't mentioned it before, <laughs> ever. I mean, we certainly <laughs> haven't said it for like 10 minutes in every single show since we started, but... No, I, I think you were absolutely right in including it in this show. I think it's a, it's about time to raise awareness, you know, for these MuggleCast T-shirts. I agree. I agree completely, yeah. I think both of you have had your headsets muted over the past few weeks because we we do promote. Oh, really? Have we? We do promote the MuggleCast T-shirt. Really? Yes. It must be so short. It must be so short. We just can't remember. Everyone, it. buy your own MuggleCast T-shirt today. They help support the show. You all think you look cool in your Abercrombie and Fitch and your Fitch, not Fish, and your Aeropostale. But c- seriously, how about a nice 100% cotton um, black MuggleCast T-shirt? So it shrinks when you soak it. It'll even shrink. Because yeah. it's one hundred percent. It'll cotton. help you no. lose weight if you're overweight. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not implying anything. <laughs> so do not forget those. And one reminder for Lumos 2006. It is now time to RSVP, as we mentioned last week. Send your reservations to hplive at gmail dot com. But don't forget, this does not guarantee you a seat of any kind. This merely tells us that you are coming. Uh, we do have plans to broadcast the video outside of the recording area, so those who do not get in can still watch it. Uh, not on national television or anything. So anyway, make those, make sure you get those in. We need to know how many people are going, because otherwise we're going to underestimate, and there's going to be no room for anyone. So if you want to be comfortable... At all. You still won't, but if you want to be comfortable, then <laughs> make sure you send in your RSVP with you and how many people are coming with you. Um... And please rate yourself on the cool factor of one to ten, so I know whether or not I can hang out with you. <laughs> that is, that is, and and please wear a little name tag with your cool factor number. On it, so <laughs> if I know to approach yep. you or not. Hi, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> cool kid. And if you lie, that, we will know. What's that? A two? Uh, sorry, I can't talk right yeah, now. Yeah. Um. Even if I had a ten on Andrew, I don't think you. Hang out with me. Hey, Andrew. Eric, I love you. So anyway, moving on to some recent news here. Late-breaking news as of the time of this recording. We record on Wednesdays, and we have just found out that the Order of Phoenix movie will indeed be released in summer 2007. Specifically, July 13th, 2007. Which is bad. This is big news. No, it's good, and it's bad. Good, <laughs> because we will have plenty of time to update the site over the summer. <laughs> 
Um, I can't think of any reasons why it would be bad, okay. though. Well, I do. Book 7? Book 7. Oh, book um, 7. I right. think it might be unlikely that they release book 7 on 777 now, because right the next week... There'll be movie seven, and I actually think it'd be really cool if they synchronized it and had one week this, one week that. But I, I think it might be unlikely. I agree. Pretty unlikely. Um, you know, I don't see why it's unlikely. Okay, I, I see. Oh, why on earth would they put them so close together? Why not? Why not? I think it would. Uh, apart from it making a giant, you know, a giant, the last Harry Potter book and the fifth uh, Harry Potter movie making a giant impact on the world and it, like Potter Mania and you know Entertainment Weekly does like three editions on it. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think they actually don't want that. Um, in certain ways, I don't know. It just makes sense somehow to me that they might actually space it out a bit more. Um, just like when they record movies, the same like The Matrix two and three, they had them spaced out six seven months apart, even though they record at the same time. It's like Prior to the Caribbean, too, the movie. Um, when they do movies and when they do things that they can release at the same time, they actually generally prefer not to do it, to space it out a little bit, create a little bit of hype here, a little bit of hype there. Well, that's a true point. Well, and, I, and also, Eric, though, wait, hang on. If everybody's reading Book 7 and they release the movie the week after, that would hurt the movie, I think. Everybody would be... It would either hurt the movie or the book. Either people would be... Reading the book still and still discussing it and saying, oh, wow, oh, my God. Or, you, you know, and they'd be too busy doing that to go see the movie and that would hurt the box office. Or they would go see the movie and have so much to talk about there and it would really take away from the awe factor of book seven and everything being closed as far as the books go. You, you know what I'm saying? So even if it isn't even if it isn't like Warner Brothers wanting to pace things apart, I actually think it would be really bad if they were released together. It would just create... I, I think they should be at least, like, a month apart. Do you even think they would put them that far apart? I mean, I'm not sure I can be convinced that they would actually release them both within a month of each other. A month? You think You think it would be sooner? No, I don't think it would be sooner. I think they'd want to space it out more. I mean, I think even a month is too close. Well, the question is, then... Just on general principle. Well, hang on, guys. If they know, and if they can actually finalize... I mean, they've had to be talking to Jake Eric, because if they can finalize the movie for... July, you know, 12th or whatever, right after 777, obviously, considering all this stuff, it's pretty, It's. I think it'd be right in saying that JKR wants the book out not around then. Like, maybe, do you, do you guys think the book will be out before then, then? And, it, you know, that's a tremendously good good thing. No way, there's no way it's going to be out before But then that's film. the problem, because then if the book comes out after 777, they missed a pretty good de- date, you know, and... No, but the date isn't actually that important at all. You know, it's only worth it's only worth it for the promotional value, putting it on posters and stuff like that. It isn't actually that well, important. Why make at it all. the twelfth, the week before? Come on, the week before is the seventh. What's wrong with them? Because no, because they can't. Obviously, you know, just like you've said, you can't release the book then the film. But it's like, but you were talking about the Matrix films. They they just seem more planned than uh, these films. So they knew. They were going to have three films. They knew that that, that they were going to have them a certain amount, you know, between. A lot more just seems to happen in in the Harry Potter world. So, like, they, you know, you've got the books and the films, and they have to space them out to get the most value out of the franchise, and just because people don't want everything crammed into one thing because they want it to last as long as they can. But But when they're spacing out, they're talking about a few months. Yeah. This is... I, the timing for both these... I, I'm trying to think if J.K. Rowling 
had any... S- Rolling. Okay, sorry. J.K. Rowling... I'm starting to catch myself. Rolling alert. J.K. Rowling had any say in this. Because if she did, then she either thinks that that's plenty of time before the book or plenty of time after the book. Or, no, no, or just that the book, there's no way the book will be done by then. And that she'd rather get the hype over uh, Mordor of the Phoenix done and then uh, release the book. I mean, maybe they'll go for a winter release date for, for, for the book instead. Why can't it be this winter then? I mean, she just updated on her blog. Because, because she's got to write it, Andrew. She doesn't just pull it out her ass. No, I don't, I don't want it to be this winter. But I'm saying is I don't want it to be next winter either. Next winter, I think... I mean, she's writing all this stuff. Every, you know, every time she updates her site, Book Seven's going great. Book Seven's going great. Yeah, and, and that's good. Exactly. But that's, that gave me more and more reason to suspect summer 2007. But since we're seeing... You know that it's not going to be that because they can't really. You know, this movie release date has actually ruined seven 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 for both of them, which I think is sad. But it's just a date, though. I know, it's but like... it would be a cool date. But the the point I'm trying to make is that since the mo- now the book is either going to come out, you know, a few months before summer 2007 or a few months after 2007. I I don't think it's going to come out before the movie. No way. Okay, I agree. But it's either going to come out three months before or three months after, and I don't want either of them. I don't want... You know, I frankly wouldn't care if we had to wait until summer 08 for the book, because I want it to be wait, good. for the book? Yeah. Summer 08? Absolutely. Well, but yeah. um, I think J.K. Rowling can put out a book with the same uh, quality. In, in, in rolling, 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 rolling. How long was it between book four and five? I forget. It was like two, three. Years? It was like three years. Three years. Then I, I think it would be possible for it to come out two thousand eight. I wouldn't mind. You know, be, be cool, because look at book five. Book five was completely massive, and it didn't really answer any questions. But a book that length could answer everything if she did it again. I love book I, five, though. I thought yeah, it was awesome. book five. I thought was great. Hasn't J.K. Rowling said, though, uh, she was aiming for 2007? I don't know. Has she? I don't know if she'd want to put a date on it like that. Yeah, I agree. If uh, Because it can go wrong so easily, and there's so much stuff that... Oh, what can go wrong? Writer's block. <laughs> all right, all right, writer's block. But how many times has she told us, like Eric said earlier, that it's that it's going well? She knows how this book is going to end. She says it's gonna ma- she's going to make it shorter than book five. All right. It's it's the last book. I understand that there's a lot to close up here. I Going think she's well. on schedule for 2007. Yeah, I, 2008, 2008. You have to think about that. She's already she's in the process of writing this book, and 2008. That's a long time. You have to consider. A good day of writing can be figuring out a plot point. A good day of writing can be getting well, two course. pages down. I strongly urge you to go and try and write 15 pages of fiction in one day. Right. It's hard. All right, I understand. I, it's, I well, the... she's not exactly making this stuff up. I mean, as much as she is, I, I don't know. It's just I, I think I agree with. No, she's making it up, but she has a lot of what she needs to include. You know, it's it's not like you're making fiction up out of nothing, like she is. But at the same time, it's not like saying write a, mm-hmm. a story about uh, a magic talking But things always crop crush. up. Oh, I understand that, and I, I I completely agree with the book problems. But I'm thinking what Andrew's saying is. You know, we've been led, and I think, you know, 777 or any time in summer 2007 was what all of us were kind of in the mindset for and kind of, you know, we're pacing ourselves. We can wait that long and that would be fine. But 
now that it's seeing that it's not really going to be that date unless they do release the movie and the book around the same time, which would hurt sales either way and hurt hurt the experience. I just don't. I think seven. I think summer was our best like hope. Like I was really counting on that. Mm-hmm. Also, also, um, <clears throat> films must have like a six month gap either side to account for filming problems. So if they put a, a, a release date on the book of say August 2007 and filming got put back a month they'd be basically at you know at the same time so I don't see how they can actually release the book in summer 2007 without seriously causing problems if filming gets put back or or if the uh, film's release date gets put back so I think it's going to be 2008 well all of the Gary Oldman scenes and, and I think the Lupin scenes too are going to be filmed this summer um, so what? A lot has already been filmed. A lot has. A lot. Yeah, but so many things can, go, you know. Can I, go I understand that. Filming, but they jumped right into this movie practically right after movie four, and just like they did with movie two. Yeah. Well, no. You, you mean they jumped right into movie two? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Because right, I mean, yeah. they yeah. said like the day after movie one came out, they were back at the studio talking about two. Like Steve Clove said that one time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And at the end of movie three, I'm pretty sure they took a break, right? Yeah, uh, they did. They took they? like yeah. a six month. Something. Like I know that. they took a break after two. All right. Well, th- this could always go for some more discussion. Yeah, let's move on. Speaking of J.K. Rowling, uh, wombats were introduced to us over what? When was it? This past Saturday, and it's kind of ironic because these reminded me of the SATs, and I had just taken the SATs that morning. So, morning I took SATs, and then afternoon was my wombats. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and, and like, Tough day for you, Andrew. <laughs> Tough day. <laughs> I know. Well, wombats took 25 minutes. SATs took four hours, so it was yeah. much easier. What, what do you guys think of these? I thought it was hard. It was, it was hard. It was like, I thought, but yeah, it, it was really hard. And uh, some of the questions just seemed like, unless you knew them, it was just guess, you know. It was just guessing, like the one about which department of the ministry to contact in a certain situation. Yeah, I thought it was just common sense, unless you actually knew that you, you were supposed to contact a certain department. I don't think I've done very well in that. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of nerds and really big dorks, Kevin Seck just came in. Welcome, Kevin Seck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so, Kevin, what do you think of the wombats? They were interesting. I mean, I don't see what relevance they play to yeah. anything on the site. Honestly, you know what I think they are? J.K. Rowling. Yeah, exactly. J.K. Rowling clearly sees that she's in some desperate need of some content on, on yeah. her. Some, something fresh. Something fresh. I'm not, she's, she has some awesome stuff on there. But I'm, I'm saying, you know, to keep Russian. everyone entertained. It's yeah. a good idea, though. And of interest, it said Wombat's level one. So yeah, does it does it make that. sense for uh, Joe to put out a couple more of these between now and book seven? Yeah. It's just a game, though. I don't think it has any re- relevance. It just made me feel I stupid. Fun. I don't even it's think... Nice game. It, was, it was kind of fun. It just made me feel like... <laughs> just made me feel dumb. She likes making... She likes making less of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, here's, she wants us to make it... She wants to make us feel stupid, so we start going around and rereading the books again to relearn all this. That's it. There we go. <laughs> oh, but we've got the one up on her. She sits there thinking, you're thick, I'm clever. Nope. Ah. Moving on to listener rebuttal this week, we got a couple for you here. All right, so the first one from Pat Masler. Oh, and uh, disclaimer here: if you don't think we're going to be able to pronounce your name, then please put a little pronunciation thing in there, like one of the listener rebuttal emails did. Or expect us yeah, to slaughter. This, <laughs> this is 
This is Pat Masler from upstate New York. He writes, Jim Dale is British. Uh, Jamie, th- this one's directed towards you. Jim Dale is British. He is the voice of Harry Potter and all its characters to thousands of us. I've tried to hear Stephen Fry's British version for years, comparing reviews that both American and British listeners seem happy with their reader, Jim and Stephen, respectively. I finally got my hands on Stephen's audios audiobooks, he means, and in my mind, there's no comparison. Jim Dale rules, and I wish every British listener could hear them. I may be starting an ocean-wide battle here, but I would love to hear people's opinions if they have fairly heard both. I listened to one whole book, and he's ruining it, so I can't listen anymore with Stephen, even though he is a great actor. Back to Jim. Thoughts on this, Jamie, since you're, you're, you're British? I beg to differ and say that Stephen Fry is awesome. I really like the way he does things, but I like quite a bit of his work, so I could be Bias. Have you listened to Jim? Um, but uh, okay, no, <laughs> oh, you haven't. You have no idea what so, you're doing. Actually, no. I'm sure I. I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have. I know. I can't really say that Stephen Fry is better, but I, you know, without hearing both, but I really do like him. But I'd love to hear a sound clip from the Jim Dale version. So, if somebody fancies sending one in, people write in and tell us what you think. If you've heard both of them, which one Ooh, do you like? Let's better go around and give our both. opinions. Um, yeah. I have heard a little bit of Stephen Fry, but I I really think that I like Jim Dale better. He just seems more emotional with it. And like, I don't know. I just like the guy. I I've heard both, and I I actually have a I have both versions myself. But uh, any yeah, reason why like you don't like Stephen? Um, I don't I don't know. It's it's just a matter of preference. I think it's not really one is better than the other. It's just technique. Yeah, I, I think you're right, yeah. It is technique, yeah. <laughs> Emily from North Carolina writes concerning Grindelwald. In her interview with Melissa and Emerson, J.K. Rowling strongly implied that Grindelwald has importance to something in the plot. My thought is this. Voldemort said he had gone further than anybody along the path that leads to immortality. This suggests that he was not the first wizard to create a horcrux, just the first to create seven. And Dumbledore seemed to know more about destroying horcruxes than he told Harry directly. Although we never did hear the story about his Which we did. Hand. Yes, we did. What if Grindelwald had created a Horcrux and Dumbledore had to learn at that time how to destroy one in order to defeat him? Perhaps this is a memory that Dumbledore left for Harry in the Pensieve and we'll learn more about in the seventh book. Uh, now, from the interview with J.K. Rowling, we did learn that Grindelwald is indeed dead. And um, when Joe was asked, is it a coincidence that he died in 1945, she said no because, and I quote, it amuses me to make allusions to things that were happening in the muggle world, so my feeling would be that while there's a global muggle war going on, there's also a global wizarding world going on. Uh, And then Emerson asked Joe, does he have any connection to... And then Joe cut him off and said, I have no comment to make on that subject. And then she laughs. Can I tell you this? It laughs it off. Oh, forget about it, guys. Don't even, <laughs> yeah. don't even keep it in your heads. Because it's so funny. You can make uh, complete comparisons between uh, the Wizarding World, stuff that happens in the Wizarding World, and World War Two. It's like Hitler believed in uh, ethnic cleansing, and people like Lucius Malfoy, you know, only, only believe that certain people should go to Hogwarts. Perhaps you can extend that to say that only certain people should live. I don't know. He's a nasty enough character for me to believe that, and I don't know about everyone else, but perhaps. Perhaps you could. So I think it's clear that sort of ideological battles can be fought on in the Muggle world and in the Wizarding world. So I think Grindelwald could have some relation to Hitler, maybe, or perhaps he was on his kind of side. That completely went off on a tangent, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> 
No, but it's interesting that she said that because if that's the case, then was she really trying to make that connection in book six, like we talked about last week? I think that she was trying to make a parallel. I don't think she was trying to make a connection. Well, not a physical connection between Voldemort and Hitler. She was just trying to make a parallel to say something yeah. similar was going on in this world. That could be it. As yeah. you know. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Dumbledore directly compared Voldemort to to other dictators. He's like, you know, they create their own enemies, just like all dictators in the world do. And it was like this giant, giant bat Hitler thwap with like giant stinky fish with Hitler's name on it, saying, just like dictators everywhere do. And you know, it was really scary that I thought she was strongly, strongly trying to, uh, yeah, well, Mussolini, Stalin, all those. Um, she was trying to make a really big connection. But what I didn't. What I didn't know about her uh, establishing the uh, dictator is that she actually kind of concluded that Voldemort was evil from the start, and you know, not not really made as as much as I thought maybe dictators might be. I I don't know. Like I I think it's interesting. Like I like her take on dictators, but I don't know. I'm supposed to agree with it, but I don't know that I d- I do as far as how they're made and how they how they do stuff. Like if they're evil to begin with. No, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Next email, Lauren, seventeen from Rockton, Illinois. She writes, "I would like to respond to the comment about the death curse emitting green light once cast. The color green can sometimes symbolize a longing for a safe home and family life. Voldemort obviously feels some unrest about his family situation, especially his Muggle father. Although Voldemort did not create the death curse, could J.K.R. be using the color green as a parallel to Voldemort's deep emotional turmoil, a possible motive for his vicious killings. Also, Barty Crouch Jr. disguised as Mad-Eye Moody exhibited use of the killing curse in Goblet of Fire. He was also in an emotional rift with his father. Love the show. Keep up the great work, Lauren. Uh, she's <laughs> I appreciate this Lauren thing, uh, which, which she's trying to do with Barty Crouch Jr., but I think it's a little bit different than uh, what Voldemort's doing. I think any unrest that Voldemort would have for his father um, has been long, you know, outgone, and you know, it, it fuels, of course, the hatred that he faces every day. But I really don't think uh, the green light would be created specifically for Voldemort. However, I do like the connection she makes to the death curse and the, the color green symbolizing a, you know, a tormented soul or, or family unrest, and that, that's the kind of feeling that it takes, as we know, to cast something like the death curse. So I think the green relates to unsatisfaction, you know, unrest, but not necessarily Voldemort's, because I don't think... I, I would not compare Voldemort to Barty Crouch Jr., because I'm not going to try and make Voldemort innocent. Now, I haven't listened to episode 33, but I always associate the green with venom. Like, you know, like poison, like... Like Peter Parker's arch-rival? You know, like... It, it, I don't know, I just always associate sort of like death, you know, like that connection, but maybe it's just me. Uh, green means go, so go, get out of here, kid. Yeah, that's what I thought. I don't really think that like the color of a spell will change to relate to the person casting it. I always associate it with just the type of spell. You know, it was... I think green also emphasizes. You know, yeah, green is same. green is Slytherin colors. Green is ewy. It's gr- green vegetables. You know, you know what the heck? It all, it all comes down to the interpretation of green. And I, I think it's very clever that it could you know mean this unrest and and things like that. But I think more along the lines of that would be you know in the Great Gatsby 
the the main character sees his light across the dock and it's green and it means you know home and hope or whatever it is. You know, I think that's more along the lines of that. But I think the green in this curse, as you say, thinks of venom and, and other evil stuff. To wrap up the listener rebuttal, this actually wasn't sent in as an email from anyone. Well, it was sent in from a couple of people. But uh, what happened last week is we had a couple of recording problems, <coughs> Eric and. <sighs> One thing that we did discuss was the reason why Nearly Headless Nick had indeed died. And we did get an explanation, but we had to cut it out because of some audio glitches. We apologize for the shorter show last week. But Cough, Eric. Cough, Eric. How many times can you cough, Eric? <laughs> At any rate, I only did once. Uh, what happened to Nearly Headless Nick was actually revealed on J.K. Rowling's website when she published some of her original... Uh, what did she say exactly? It was cut out from Swisher's Stone. The editors decided to uh, get rid of it. And actually, I said Rowling again, didn't I? Um, I apologize. <laughs> I will never learn. That's okay. They de- the editors decided to axe it. N- nearly, nearly completely axed <laughs> and, well, it. Well, they, they did. And that's... that's It was nearly lost. Ah! Okay, so... Oh, that was hilarious. So, anyway. Okay, so... Oh, you're so funny. So what happened... Uh, it's basically a poem, but... No one here wants to sing it and or read it. So, basically, in summary, what happened was Nick was walking through a park, and he runs into a woman named Lady Grieve, uh, and then for some reason, Nick had thought that he could straighten Lady Grieve's teeth, so he attempted to, but I guess with some sort of spell, but they turned into tusks, and... um, so then he says that he was put on the chopping block and there was a delay in chopping his head off because the rock that they were using to sharpen the knife with or whatever it was uh, was too dull. So then the next morning they still used the blunt knife and they had to hit Nick 45 times until they <laughs> eventually gave up. And as I quote, uh, nearly had this Nick says, and I quote, they never saw fit to desert me. Or no, the head never saw fit to desert him. They used yeah. the head never. <laughs> yeah, um, that would kind of stink for the uh, lady grieve getting you know tusks for teeth. But at least she has the place. To I hang really think her that shoes. was one of the better little rhyme schemes that were in the in the books. Yeah, but it was it was it somewhat. Just worked. I thought it was humorous. And it was good that they cut it because it was somewhat long and s- s- irrelevant to. <laughs> The story, so... Yeah. There is a lot of singing and rhyme and all this stuff. As I as I did mention, the, you know, Gringotts and the Hogwarts song and the Sorting Hat, it's too much. It, it is... I, no, I think the Sorting Hat song has... I think the Sorting Hat song has value because he talks about... No, that has specific relevance. Yeah, but the, the, the Hogwarts song, cut that out. At least this... At least Nick's song has a plot to it. Or adds to the story. Adds a, you know... I don't know. Well... It answers a question. The, what does what the Hogwarts song answer? They're all goofy, and they all sit there and sing a song. School song. Who sings school songs anymore? Seriously. <laughs> I know, really. It's not like... Muhlenberg. Yay. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, that's funny, though. Actually, Andrew, yeah. like I thought the uh, Hogwarts song, the, the only thing, thinking about it, they could show is that the Weasleys sang it to a funeral march. Maybe that, maybe... It, Which was cool. No, 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 it's cool, but a funeral march, perhaps it's a foreshadowing something, it's bad things ha- happening <laughs> to the Weasleys. So that wraps up this week's Listener Rebuttals. rebuttals. Now moving on to chapter by chapter, chapter 8 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Potions Master. We're only doing one chapter this week because these, these shows have been getting a little too long and we can't fit in all the stuff that we do want to talk about. This chapter is... 
devoted to Snape. Or at least the name of it is devoted to Professor Snape, which we learn somewhat a bit about. Uh, in the previous chapter, we just learned that he was this guy who looked at Harry through Girl's turban and his scar started hurting. So, anyway. Um, chapter starts in the morning. Uh, I believe it's the next day or something like that. It's, it's, it's describing an overview of how life is at Hogwarts. I'm thinking the first thing is that it's telling you all about the structure of Hogwarts. Well, first of all, it talks a little bit about gossip. A um, little bit about, you know, how Harry Potter is getting some interest and everybody's like, you know, he's finally at school and now they're poking at a scar. Well, not poking him, but they're looking at um, But then it goes, in, then it goes into the, the life at Hogwarts. So let me just, let me just quote this. Uh, there are 142 staircases at Hogwarts. Wide sweeping ones, narrow rickety ones, some that led somewhere different on a Friday, some with a vanishing step halfway up that you had to remember to jump. Then there were doors that wouldn't open less, unless you asked politely or tickled them in exactly the right place. Kitchens, cough. And doors that weren't really doors at all, but solid walls just pretending. Okay. One of the things I want to point out is that J.K. establishes so much in this one chapter that relates to future books, including the tickling, like pictures that you had to tickle to get in places. And that's just that we didn't even see that for another three years, but she mentioned it there. Not to mention, um, well, she talked about doors that would pretend, or walls that would pretend to be doors, and that's a little bit of room of requirement foreshadowing, except it was really a door pretending to be a wall, but, you know, you get that in there. Go back to the title, which, um, it's, uh, The Potions Masters, so it's completely dedicated to Snape, so we have an entire chapter in the first book dedicated to Snape, and then the entire sixth book is... You know, its title is completely dedicated to Snape. So, do you think there's going to be something in the seventh book that kind of shows that those two were foreshadowing us and something massive is going to be revealed about Snape? Doesn't Snape have a chapter in every book devoted to him? Like Snape's Grudge and. Really? Things like that? Ooh. I mean, isn't there. Is, ooh, I don't know. Ooh, is ooh. there a Snape. Development. A Snape prominent chapter? It seems like there was. It should be like a Snape prominent chapter in every book. That'd be interesting. Everyone's opening their books now. Yeah. So in book five, it was, it was at least Snape's grudge. In book six, it was like the whole thing. <laughs> what about three and four and two? Two, three, and four? Here, let me see. I think Snape's grudge was book three. Oh, okay. Actually. So Snape's grudge would be book three. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is a stunning discovery, Jamie. Yeah, it is. And we'll look into it further when we have uh, more time to look in the books. But moving on to other things, one person that we really learn about uh, in the beginning of this chapter is Argus Filch when he runs into Harry and Ron. And uh, it goes, Filch found them trying to force their way through a door that unluckily turned out to be the entrance to the out-of-bounds corridor on the third floor. He wouldn't believe they were lost, was sure they were trying to break into it on purpose, and was threatening to lock them in the dungeons when they were rescued by Professor Quirrell, who was passing. So immediately, you see here that Filch is this, this complete jerk who just assumes the worst and just gets them into trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we see that Professor Quirrell was conveniently passing by the third floor corridor. But we yeah, do yeah. learn about Filch also a little after. Um, Hagrid's talking about him in the cabin at the end of the chapter, and he says that Filch sets Mrs. Norris on him every time he's up at the castle to spy on him. Yes. Yeah. So that's more about Filch right there. Clearly Filch doesn't trust him because he thinks that he was responsible for the Chamber of Secrets thing. And th- so he doesn't trust him to walk around the castle. How long has Filch been there, do you think? I don't know, but I would think that he would probably know why Hagrid had been expelled yeah. or why he was still there. Yeah. Actually, when they were talking about 
just back to the first paragraph again. Uh, or, sorry, like the fifth paragraph. But there, there are 142 staircases to Hogwarts. Now this mentions that some of them led somewhere different on Friday, but I actually don't think anywhere in the books it mentions the turning staircases, like the rotating actual staircases that are in the uh, the Hogwarts movies. I think that was completely a plot device added to the movies to make them get to the third floor corridor without doing the midnight duel. Because yeah, in the movies, yeah. you see... You guys know what I'm talking about? Because that's not in yeah. the books at all, is it? I mean, the actual turning staircases. So that's, like, really cool. Because yeah. every new movie trailer, it's like, there's something weird at Hogwarts, and then, like, goes down the staircases as they're turning mischievously. But that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, my God, the stairs are moving! That is so weird! I didn't read that in the books! What is WB doing? They're ruining everything! <laughs> uh, calm down. All right, so right after Filch... Uh, Joe goes off onto this tangent about how Hogwarts is just plain old uh, kids 15 and under, uh, turn your volumes down. Plain old sucks. I don't think that was what she meant. I think she meant it was overwhelming. Uh, Did you read this? Read this right now. Harry found that he would rather have been back at the Dursleys getting pounded to shrimp by... Uh, Oh, I see it now. I see it. Yeah, okay. Uh, There was a lot more to magic as Harry quickly found out. Uh, they had to study the night skies through a telescope, telescope every Wednesday at midnight and learn the names of different stars and the movements of the planets. Three times a week they went up to the greenhouses behind the castle to study herbology with a dumpy little witch called Professor yeah. Sprout where they learned how to take care of all the strange plants and fungi and they found out what they were used for. Easily the most boring class was history of magic. Was the, That's the way I yeah, get it. Yeah, but you have to remember. Whoa, 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 This is just setting up this, this, this story. It's just, it's a, and you have to remember, it's going... From the, it's coming from the view yeah. of someone who just started school. It's overwhelming. I don't think it was meant to be sucky. Go up to anyone who has just started school. I know. That- I'll ask you, beginning of next year, how you like school, and what you're going to tell me is it's horrible, you have to yeah. work, there's crappy you know, teachers, they don't teach you anything, everything's hard, you have to do all this work, there's no end to it, you know. It's just, you know, it's written from Harry's viewpoint. And at the at that time in the story, it was probably horrible because it's brand new and, you know, it's school. Not to mention, I think Joe is probably trying to set her magical world apart from anyone else's. Because when you think of a children's book about wizards, most people are going to automatically think of a bunch of kids sitting around waving sticks and yelling hocus pocus. Yep. You know, yeah. Yeah, so she's true. definitely trying to make it different. Exactly, she had to establish that it was a true boarding school point. And we we've talked about this too. How in the movies, the classroom scenes are what you know fans like to relate to and stuff, and compare it to classes. So J.K.R. is simply introducing the class structure through which she would be using, you know, in every plot, you know, you know, of every book. Like how, how they had classes certain uh, days of the week, which is cool because American uh, schools aren't all, aren't all like that. Mine isn't. Um, and she introduces other things like Herbology and Professor Sprout, which we don't find out about till next book, and things like astronomy. Now it says they, they, they had to study the night skies through their telescopes every Wednesday at midnight. So since year one... Harry's been taking astronomy, and we did not see the astronomy tower uh, being used for astronomy class until he took his owls in, like, book five or something. Book five? During the owls? Yeah. But 
that just shows how long J.K. R. can go without... You know, she introduced it and told us it was there and that there is astronomy, and she mentions it a hundred times later, but we never actually saw it until yep. books later. So she's just in, she's establishing this stuff to get it down into writing so she can write about it later. I guess, but I don't know. It just comes off to me like she's trying to make it look like it sucks. Because, yeah, because Harry's a new student, and he doesn't expect yeah. much of it. It, it. I think it's just... I think it's just as... You know, it's just a new student's perspective. Not every kid is going to like school the first couple. No, I not at all. I think you I just have a vendetta too. against Laura, school, Andrew. School. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, God, I love school. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Something else J.K.R. established is the Marauder's Map, kind of. If you look on page 133. <laughs> what? No, guys. Well, she at least is... Okay, when she's talking about Filch, she says, uh, Filch knew the secret passageway is... Better than anyone except the... Weez- yep. Except perhaps the Weasley twins. It's like this thing out there that's like... It's just so cool because right now she's telling us that the Weasley twins could give Filch a run for his money with the knowledge of Hogwarts passageways. And we don't know why we think that's funny. We think, oh, they're pranksters, so that would make sense. And then we move on. But here it is in writing, books before it happens. The magic of J.K.R. They, they, they go to Transfiguration um, and then Defense Against the Dark Arts, except they're kind of a joke. Which isn't surprisingly, and it just says... Which there is when we first see Professor Quirrell's turban. Yeah. Yes. And he can't explain how he got it from an, ara- for, excuse me, from an African prince. But they weren't sure they believed this story. Yeah. There you go. Which kind of reminded me of Lockhart. And it smells funny. I thought that was weird. No, no, it says um, his turban, he told them, had been given to him by an African prince as a thank you for getting rid of a troublesome zombie. But they weren't sure they believed this story. That's, uh, that's what it says. When Seamus... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I think it was like Seamus asked him, and he couldn't explain it. And then the Weasley twins insisted that it was stuffed full of garlic as well, so that girl was protected wherever he went. <laughs> then it's time for double potions with the Slytherins. He added some uh, effect to that. Uh-oh. OMG. Okay, yes. here's an interesting thing. The description of Snape. The description of Snape. No, no, wait. Before you go there, you've missed something. Hey, sorry. I was just going to say, um, it's just, there's a bit um, on page 101 in the British version. Eric, uh, can you translate that? About Hagrid's letter? It's about when it says, at the start of term banquet. No, it says, at the start of term banquet, Harry had got the idea that Professor Snape disliked him. By the end of the first potions lesson, he knew he'd been wrong. Snape didn't oh, dislike yeah. Harry. He hated him. Now, oh, that isn't true. So, uh, well, you know, it's, it isn't really true. He doesn't actually hate him. He dislikes him because of his father. So I think that's, that just shows that, peop- you know, characters can be wrong. Harry's completely wrong there. I don't know. Actually, it's page 136 in the U.S. edition. Um, 101 in the U.K., 136. Uh, he, he, Snape didn't like, dislike Harry. He hated him. Well, I don't know. If you think about it, there's a lot of... Harry later asks Hagrid why specifically he hates him, and Hagrid chooses not to answer it. And it seems like a yeah. lot of focus is brought on to Harry. It's not like, I don't know, I think Harry would be able to distinguish between hating Harry and hating something about him. Like, it, I mean, Snape is genuinely picking yeah. on Harry. Not, not like picking on his father or saying anything like that. He's picking on Harry and his moral character by saying that he's a celebrity and that, you know, he, he, he's arrogant. Snape calls Harry arrogant. This hate, hatred's a very, very strong emotion. It, like, 
the way he speaks about Harry, it just sounds like he doesn't like him. He thinks he's arrogant, so he wants to get something back on him. Hatred, it just doesn't sound like he hates him. If you hated somebody, do you really want anything at all to do with them? Wouldn't you rather just never see them again? That's a good point, and I think I think you're right. The arrogance does stem from, obviously, James's arrogance. You know, he has, he has a good reason to believe yeah. Harry would be. I, I know what you mean. Um... Well, hated is also, I guess, used lightly here. Like, you know, what else could go wrong for Harry? And kind of in, in Harry's mind, there's this teacher who just really yeah. just doesn't even... And yeah. I think it was used for emphasis, you know, comparison. Like, oh, he didn't just dislike it. The American version is the word hated in italics. Yes. Is it in italics, the word hated? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, fine, yeah. Just wondering. Cool. After that, it says, they were cold and empty and made you think of dark tunnels. The dark tunnel to the... Um, Department of Mystery. Uh, actually, I think of Dark Tunnels, I think of Chamber yeah. of Secrets, but yeah. I thought that, you know, the uh, Occlumens. Oh, yeah, dark, dark Tunnels is a brilliant thing, but I mean, then she, at first she says, well, it says, it's page 136, Andrew, it says, Snape finished calling the names and looked up at the glass. His eyes were black like Hagrid's, but they had none of Hagrid's warmth. So that's an interesting... Like, they were black like Hagrid's, which yeah. tells us that Hagrid's... But I don't even know why she's making that comparison. She, you know... But they had none of Hagrid's warmth, I guess. She was just using that to uh, contrast. I just sort of thought that it was a way to kind of describe Snape's personality without uh, going into too much detail. I mean, I think it's I think it's really kind of a brilliant deduction to, you know, draw the occlumency and the Department of Mysteries and the Chamber of Secrets, though. So then we get into the potions class, and, oh, it just, just goes terrible for Harry. Of course, Snape right off the bat... Has abs is just ripping on poor Harry. Starts asking him a bunch of questions about little facts. Of course, he doesn't know. Well, Hermione does, but what about the actual things? I mean, the Bezoar was important in Book Six um, when he had to save Ron, and the Wolfsbane, uh, you know, saved Luke. Well, it helped Lupin in Book Three. What about Monkshood, Asphodel, and Wormwood? The fact that we haven't seen some of the herbs that are mentioned in Snape's class. Well, we've seen Probably some seen of some. them, and the fact that we haven't seen all of them may be foreshadowing that we will see all of yeah. them. So Snape continues to pick. Snape continues to pick on him. It really did help establish his character in the sense that, especially this small little paragraph. He's, um, I believe, Neville spilt something, and he said "idiot boy," and then wiped it away with just a sweep of his hand. He sort of made like a huge, huge deal about it. And then he simply just waved his hand and it was gone. So so it was sort of like slapping the kids in the face in the sense that, you know, he was yelling at them, screaming at them. It was very easy to handle. It's not as though, you know, they broke a priceless statue. Yeah. Also, also to do with that, he only took one point off Harry then and then one more point off, after he, um, right. Neville's uh, cauldron broke, uh, burnt down. But, you know... As we get further into the books, he starts taking 10, then 20, then threatens to take 50 points off him. I don't know if that just means that he's turning meaner or something, but there could be something there. Either that or he's assuming that they're knowing more. Yeah, yeah, all that. So they leave the class. Then it's time to accept Hagrid's invite and head down to Hagrid's hut. I think this is the first time that Harry and Ron are both going into the hut, Yep. right? Yep. Yeah. So they try to get in, and we first see Fang. Well, we hear Hagrid trying to get Fang out of the way. 
And they go in, they see all this stuff in Hagrid's hut. Hams and pheasants were hanging from the ceiling, and copper kettle was boiling on the open fire, and in the corner stood a massive bed with a patchwork quilt over it. Then Harry spots the latest issue of the Daily Prophet, where... Actually, no, it was a cutting from the Daily Prophet. And it's somewhat important that they did say cutting, because it had direct relevance to the... Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, but why would he save the article specifically? That's what I don't I don't know. Just because... uh, I I think it was just her subtle way of pointing out that he was paying attention to it. I don't know if there's any specific reason. It's it's a good plot point. Oh, okay. So a reader would see cutting and Uh, say, ooh, Hagrid has taken attention to... It's funny. We spot all this stuff. Why aren't we noticing this in, like, book six? It's just going to anger me when we read book seven and all of a sudden... Oh, it was right there in front of us. I mean, this only gives away what's yeah, later but still, in the book, I mean, so it's nothing huge. I know it is. It, it's keeping yeah. us trained. <laughs> well, Harry, Harry calls it out. He's saying, "What's happened? This is the same day that we went to Gringotts," and like you said, Kevin, oh, it's nothing. It's and of nothing. course, that's like the worst thing you can tell a curious teenager. Now we are all set up for the <laughs> for the rest of yeah. book seven or b- book oh, one. One sorry. last one last thing. Um, where it says. Had that been what the thieves were looking for, this is going to be a real long shot. But obviously, Harry doesn't know how many people broke into uh, to, to to Gringotts to try and steal the thing. But should we assume that it was Quirrell who broke in, or was it Quirrell who had Voldemort on his head at the time who broke in? Yeah, I was wondering that too. I don't think it was Quirrell that had Voldemort because when Harry met him uh, yeah. at the Leaky Cauldron, Wait, uh, there forms, was absolutely or? no mention of a turban. I didn't know they had computers. What? Oh, I'm sorry. No. I thought it was funny. <laughs> no, <it> was... <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Not really, sorry. but okay, you tried. <laughs> so what are you saying? That Voldemort was with them? No, I don't think he was. At least I think that he had direction from Voldemort. But I don't think that Voldemort was at that time attached to his head. Now, did Hagrid have? This might be what you were going to ask. How did Hagrid? How did Hagrid or Dumbledore know that this was going to happen? Like, was this good time? Was it just yeah. a coincidence, or were they? Did they get a little tip that this could be happening? Perhaps it shows that there's somebody on the inside that sort of told Quirrell. Oh no! Of course, that's what it is. It's no, no, it's Quirrell. It's Quirrell. It's like. Perhaps Dumbledore had told the teachers that he'd be emptying it on a certain day, and then uh, and then they emptied it, and then Quirrell broke in after l- later on that day to try and get it out, but it had already been taken. Too late. Yeah, just too late. Yeah, but why would uh, he tell them? Because he's trusting. Well, because the teachers were involved yeah. with making all the obstacles to block it. Yeah, it could have been. It could have just been good timing. How do you think? Um, Voldemort asked Quirrell if he could stick out of the back of his head. Because <laughs> it isn't something you bring up over dinner. Maybe he realized... He probably didn't ask him. He probably just did yeah, it. but I'd laugh so much if somebody says to me, right, don't argue, I'm going to stick on the back of your head. Well, did Quirrell have any hair before then? Or was Voldemort like, shave it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was like, no, please... It's going to be really itchy if I have to sit there in that mat of uh, long hair. I fancy add some colour as well and a protein pack, and then I'll be really comfortable. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that must have been awkward. Hey, can I live in the back of your head? Yeah, no, exactly. and shave you all your hair too. Weird, Voldemort. You're weird. He is weird. Completely weird. <laughs> He's a perv. He is. On the back of his head. <laughs> 
He, he could have chosen worse places, guys. <laughs> like, seriously, what? No, yeah, but why Why the head? It's because like, it's right. probably the easiest place to cover no, up the stomach. gross. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's <The> not. Stu- <laughs> Do you want to live on someone's stomach? Do you want to live on someone's head? I'd rather live there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, make it more discreet, how, how much work does it take to pull that turban off his head? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but wouldn't anyone notice if he had, like, a face-shaped bulge <laughs> yeah. under his shirt or his robes or something? <laughs> I guess so. You just wear a lot of heavy clothing. All right, so that wraps up this week's Chapter by Chapter. Who knows? Maybe we'll open some new theories on why on earth Voldemort is on Quirrell's head. Yeah, there are so many other places. All right, next week we will be reading Chapter 9. Probably not Chapter 10, probably just Chapter 9. I'm looking at it now. looks pretty long. One chapter a week seems to... Way to do it. Moving right along, it is time for the general voicemail questions this week. The first one comes from Ashley from Ontario, Canada. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Ashley from Ontario, Canada. In episode 33, you mentioned some foreshadowing about Quarrel being associated with Voldemort when Harry has the dream at the end of chapter 7. I was wondering what you think of the flash of light that Harry also sees. Could this be foreshadowing, too? Malfoy turns to look at Snape, and then Harry sees the green light. Do you think this could be, be foreshadowing to either A... Snape killing Draco, or B, Draco being murdered by Voldemort in Book 7, since, as we know from later on, Quirrell's associated with Voldemort. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to hear what you say. I love your show. I don't think so. I think Harry is merely associating the green light from the Avada Kedavra curse with Snape because right now he assumes that Snape is evil, and he thinks that Snape probably has something to do with what's going on, at least because he knows Snape hates him. I remember reading somewhere once, with dreams, you're just mixing all your thoughts together. Yeah. Whether we put that into a show, or... I remember hearing that recently. I think it was really just to show Harry's anxiety about being in this just really strange world. Yeah. Although, haven't there been dreams in the books where it's sort of foreshadowed stuff? Yeah, there have, but I don't think... That it's reasonable to assume that every dream Harry has is foreshadowing something. Well, yeah, and ex- I'm just saying that it's not like a this always happens sort of thing. Mm-hmm. All right, next voicemail. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Rayo from North Carolina, U.S. And I was wondering, in Chapter 8 on page 137, U.S. edition, Snape tells the class that he can even put a stopper in death with his potions. Do you think that has something to do with Voldemort and his horcruxes? Thanks. I love your show. Bye. No, because I don't think it's a potion. You can't call what happens when you create a horcrux a potion. But it's interesting. A stopper in death. Uh, you don't think that could be the elixir of life? Is the elixir of life a potion? Well, it's a drink. And you have to keep drinking it. So it could be... That yeah, he could mean that he, he could mean that, yeah. Or a stopper in death. Um, as you know, no, I was thinking of Snape's uh, um, protection on the stone at the end, but I don't think that really fits. I agree with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Michael Cass. This is Julia Black from Sandwich, Illinois, and I noticed something while rereading the series this week with the bet with my friend, and. I could be crazy that no one's noticed this before, but I didn't see it on the little things at MuggleNet. And I just wanted to say that in Chapter 4, The Chamber of Secrets, on page 52, it says, Do not touch. 
Hearst has claimed the lives of 19 muggle owners to date when Harry sees a magnificent necklace of opals that Draco's looking at. And then Draco asks for it. Is it just me, or could this be the necklace that's cursed mentioned in the chapter in Half-Blood Prince? Just a thought. I don't think so. I don't even remember a necklace. I think the necklace that was mentioned was the one that was in Grimmauld Place. No, I think that's a locket they're referring to, Laura. What I think from... Well, see, the voicemail somewhat broke up at the end. I believe what they're referring to is... Wasn't it Katie who who got... Yeah, yeah she, the, necklace? the necklace? Well, well, yeah. In the oh, Blood okay. Prince it says, he crouched down, an ornate opal necklace was visible, poking out of the paper. Exactly the same words, yeah. I think there's no doubt that it is well, the then, same one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... And it would make sense, because... Draco saw it yeah. in the shop. What did, um, what did Hermione o- offer to buy in Half-Blood Prince that cost one and a half thousand galleons? Was that... Oh, Was it, that a necklace? It was a necklace as well, but I'm not sure if it was the same necklace. Here, let me find it. Hermione strolled through the jumble of objects on display. Is this necklace for sale, she said, pausing behind a yeah, glass it has to be the same fronted one. case. If you've got one and a half thousand, thousand galleons. See, we could just think that um, when, um, what's his name, um, Borgin sort of, you know, frowns and said, if you have one and a half thousand galleons, he, he was just annoyed that Hermione, who clearly couldn't afford one and a half thousand galleons, uh, was asking, but it could be because he, he was ho- holding it for Malfoy and that he, he was thinking, you know, if somebody can outbid Malfoy, uh, he can have it. Oh yeah, or, absolutely. Or, or it's just an ironic comment. Not, not to mention, I don't think Malfoy purchased it. I think that Voldemort told. Yeah. So, so definitely, I think without doubt, it's the same necklace. Yeah, I, I agree. mean, mm-hmm. maybe there. It, you could speculate that it wasn't, but. Well, it's the yeah, same it's wording, wording, so. Because um, I thought in Chamber of Secrets when they talked about the necklace, they were just offering it. It is a kind of you know interesting thing about the shot, but I guess it really was a foreshadowing thing for Half-Blood Prince. Why was Draco interested in in Chamber of Secrets, though? Was he already into that? Ah, I didn't think about that. I don't know. Is Or was that just his personality? Like, he finds things like that cool, and then he remembered it in Book 6. I think yeah. that something that killed 19 muggles would greatly appeal to him. Right. Don't forget, he was, interesting, he was interested in... Um, the necklace, and he was interested in the Hand of Glory, and both featured prominently in Half-Blood Prince. He used the uh, Hand of Glory to get around Fred and George's nighttime stuff, you know, Peruvian blackness stuff, and he used uh, the necklace yeah. to hurt Katie, so it could have just, you know, it could have just been foreshadowing, and perhaps he, he was, by that point, thinking about joining Voldemort, so he, he had the two objects, or I don't know, something like that. But it was clearly foreshadowing. foreshadowing. It's funny how she she drew from the first book to, you know, she drew that object from the first book to put in the sixth. So I wonder how many objects we've missed in the first or you know the first books that she hasn't mentioned. Yeah, probably. We could probably loads. deduce <laughs> what she. Yeah, we could probably deduce what she intends to put in book seven based on the objects yeah. that she yeah, hasn't definitely. already mentioned. That wraps up this week's voicemails. You know, guys, I, Kevin, you've been telling me this. I'm starting to get a little worried. We've we've been a little short on voicemails lately. 
We have. I think I had maybe 20 in the box. Although, I did have people calling me as I was getting the voicemail. So, you know, that's a good sign. But I don't know. Maybe it's my Skype or... No, I don't think... I think it's them. Don't forget, everyone. Uh, I think uh, it's shy. What's the number? One, two, one, eight. Uh, don't forget to... <laughs> I forget the number. <laughs> that's probably what it is. People forget. What what the, heck the number is? Um, don't forget, everyone. You can still call the MuggleCast voicemail, quote unquote, hotline. So you can put your very own question on the show. You don't need a microphone. You don't need to email to us like we used to require. You In just call one two one eight twenty M A G I C, and then you can little hear a little message from me, and then record your question, and Kevin Steck will go through them. Early in the week, and pick some of the best ones out to air on the show. Yeah, so if you suck up to me, you're more likely <sighs> to uh, get your voicemail on the show. Right, and then you can also send in your voice comments that appear at the end of the show every week. Well, almost every week. All right, now it's time for our second of hopefully what will be many editorial segments. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our editorial segment. This week we're joined by MongleNet editors Katie Kanish and Sarah Greer. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Hey. So first off, why don't you two start off with a little bit of background information about yourselves. Katie? Um, well, my name's Katie, and I'm a junior in high school, and I'm from LaPorte, Indiana, and I got the job after I applied in July, and they picked me. Go Sarah. <laughs> well, uh, my name is Sarah, and I am one of the older editors. I'm from Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, I've been with the site for about a year and a half, and um, love every minute of it. So. Okay. Um, I guess the first question for you guys would be, are there specific featured editorial segments that you guys are responsible for, or do you just hand- handle the like the general editorials that get posted up? I handle, I handle mainly the gen- general editorials. I help with that, and I'm sort of unofficially in charge of Madame Puttafoot's the shipping. Yeah, thing. speaking of uh, Man and Puttyfoots, Puttyfoots, however you say it, um, what would you say are some of the most out there editorials you've gotten about a certain ship? Oh, oh, Sarah, do you remember the the Ron one that we had to have a rebuttal for? I remember the backlash. Yeah, <laughs> um, basically that basically that Ron Ron was showing um, signs of he would, you know, he was going to be an abusive partner for Hermione because he was jealous and um, very outgoing. Yeah, they cited, they cited Dear Abby, so it wasn't exactly wow. <laughs> so, so nothing like uh, Dobby Giant Squid, right? Oh, we don't. We tend to we limit it to the human <laughs> ships. Yeah, that's where we draw the line. So, Sarah. What about you in terms of featured sections? Um, well, I'm in charge of the U-Bend, which is our, our funny, our two funny guys, uh, Andrew and Robert. And lately I've been helping Sharon, uh, one of our other editors, Robbie Fisher's Magic Quill and the book trolley, the book recommendations. So on top of... And the Magic Quill has been around for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's one of our oldest. Uh, it's a fan fiction column, and it's just, he's great at it. He's great at writing whatever we need him to write (laughs) but that's basically his entire idea so okay and now do you decide what goes up on the site based upon the content of it or does it have to be well written like does anything that's well written is that going to get put up versus something that maybe 
might have some questionable content. Basically, it it doesn't hurt. It's well written, but that's not a you know we're we're looking for things that have been discussed. Um, we we get so many editorials on the same topic, and there's only so many ways you can discuss one thing. Um, so we look for new ideas, or we hope you know to get new ideas. But lately, it's been um, Horcruxes and Dumbledore and Snape, uh, NRAB. So. Now, do you have to personally agree with what goes up? No, no, of course not. No. If if that were the case, we probably wouldn't have posted the Ron is a batter editorial. Right. We try to stay as minded as possible just because there are so many different ideas out there. We don't want to stifle anybody's ideas because who knows who's going to be right in the end. So, just out of curiosity, how many editorials would you say you get per day or per week? Um... In the heyday, what I like to call our heyday, <laughs> which was uh, in between Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince, we were getting anywhere from 50 to 100 a day, um, you know, and lately it's it's dropped off um, because it seems like so many things have been answered in Half-Blood Prince. Um, so I would say now probably 20, 20 a day, 30 a day. Wow, that's still a lot. And out of all of those submissions, what percentage would you say actually make it onto the site? Katie, <laughs> right now... Um, a, s- a small, small percentage. Yeah, because like I said, there's still... A lot of them are basically on the same the same topics. So. And some of them are just bad, to be completely frank. Some of them are just terrible. And we don't want to, to dissuade anybody from writing for us, though. Um, we love to get good and bad. It's just <laughs> sometimes they are really bad and really um, short-sighted or... We've already posted something, you know, a few months back, and we don't want to repeat all the time. So. so what advice would you give to people that are looking to write editorials? Maybe some mistakes you've seen in the past that maybe people can correct, because obviously, you know, as we get closer to book seven and, and movie five, even if people want to write about that, there's going to be some things that are going to come up. Katie? Um, I'm pulling up the page that we made. Sarah made a <laughs> writing and submitting tips page that you guys should check out if you're considering writing an editorial. The page mentions that grammar is important and as as is spelling and if you you can I hate to say this but you could probably be a bit more lax on the grammar and the spelling within the editorial but please don't have a spelling or a grammar error in the subject of the email <laughs> I'm probably not going to yeah. read it if you do. <laughs> um, stay away from dead horses like we've said before. Um, Snape's loyalty to Dumbledore. I, th- I apologize for that phrase, dead horses. That's actually terrible. I should <laughs> I should remove that, but it gets the okay. point across. So, And those are Snape's loyalty to Dumbledore and whether or not Dumbledore is dead, whether or not Harry's a horcrux, and whether or not Harry will die at the end of book seven. Um, take your time writing. Cite everything. Be sure your editorial is ready for publication before sending it in. Yeah. Don't send us a revised copy, because then we have to go and find the one that you sent in the first time, and it's just, it's a big pain. Our, our email, um, we have storage where we have kept as many words, you know, as we can, um, and it gets really confusing when people send, you know, oh, by the way, I made a few changes, here's my editorial, I sent you one maybe two weeks ago, and we have to go back and find that one and delete it so that we don't confuse the two, and it's really hard to, to keep up sometimes, so that would be very helpful if they're positively sure that it's ready to be, you know, sit on the site, 
if it was chosen. Now, you guys, you're the editors. You have to have some favorite editorials, maybe featured sections, maybe, you know, just regular individual ones that you post. Which ones have kind of stood out to you guys? The favorite one that I've, my favorite that I've posted so far is, um, is Draco Malfoy a werewolf, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure was mentioned on MuggleCast a long time ago, but that was... Yes, it was. <laughs> I got shot down for that thing, but that's all right. <laughs> I posted that one. I enjoyed that one. And I'd say that my favorite section is not the burrow. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that, one, that one's really tough. We have to come up with ideas, you know, and uh, it's it's tough. But actually, so. I like Spinner's End, the newest one from Lady Lupin. That's got to be my favorite column. I've, I've had this one editorial that I've liked for a long time, and it was really, it didn't get a lot of attention or really in the forums um, right when I posted it, but it's called uh, The Physics of Magic by Matt Blackstone, I think it is. And he just gives a really, it's a really um, common sense explanation of the science behind magic. And I don't know, I, I wish people would check that out and, it was posted, I think, in um, July or August, right before Half-Blood Prince came out. So that's one of my favorites, uh, you know, editorials. And then, of course, I, I really am partial to the U-Bin just because it's a different take on the series. They're just really funny guys, and uh, I've enjoyed working with them. It's much more lighthearted. Yes, it is, and they don't get half as much credit as they should. <laughs> okay, now we're going to do a special surprise lightning round where we ask you two some of your opinions on some of the most popular theories, anything within the Harry Potter books. So, Micah, take it away. All right, we, it's like we need some music here at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. right. So, first question, Harry, live or die? And Katie, you can go first. Die. Oh, live. I say live. <laughs> Favorite movie? Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire, definitely. Snape, good or evil? Good. <sighs> evil. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think he's evil. I like this. We got a little... Uh... What's your favorite Goblet book? Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. I have to agree. Goblet of Fire. And finally, Dumbledore, dead or alive? Dead. So dead. <laughs> Very dead. I love you. I love it's you. That's the awesome. It's answer. I, I agree. I think he's dead, sadly. And, I mean, even <laughs> even if it was... And even if Snape didn't have the hatred to back up the AK, he fell off a tower. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you support my theory. Thank you. Okay. All right. I'm going to go cry now. So. <laughs> All right. Well, while Mike is crying, I think we're running out of time here. So, Katie and Sarah, thank no you so thank much you. for joining us this week. Thank you. It was really great to have mm -hmm. you. I think we all had a good time, and you guys did a great job. So, hopefully, we'll have you back on sometime. That'd be fun. <laughs> awesome. And also, to all prospective editorialists, if you have a great editorial, please email either Micah or myself, Laura at staff or Micah at staff, and, you know, show us what you have, and maybe you can be on the show. Yeah, we're looking for people who have already done editorials, right? Mm -hmm. That have already been posted on MuggleNet. Yes. And if you guys are interested in coming on the show, discussing your editorial, shoot us an email, and uh, 
link, give us a link to the editorial, and uh, we'll look it over, and uh, we'll be in touch with you guys. All right. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs> I love you all. All right. Thank you, Laura and Micah. Now, Jamie, it is time for another British joke of the day. There's a boy, and he's born with no torso and no limbs at all. Okay? And so okay. he lives his life with his dad for 18 years, and then he turns 18... And his dad takes him down to a pub for his first drink. And he buys him a pint of beer, and he drinks the pint of beer, and his torso grows back. And his dad thinks, this is unbelievable. I'm going to have to buy him another drink. So he, he, he buys him one more pint of beer, he drinks it, and his arms grow back. And by now, the, the dad's thinking it must be a miracle. So he buys him another pint of beer, and it, his legs grow back. And the son is so, so happy, he runs right out of the uh, pub into the street and gets run over by a bus. His dad walks outside and says, oh no, he should have quit when he was ahead. (laughs) (laughs) My driving instructor told me that one. Uh. (laughs) Next week on MuggleCast 35, we will have chapter-by-chapter discussion of Chapter 9 of Sorcerer's Stone. And don't forget to send in your voicemails, comments questions, whatever you want to mogulcast at staff.mogulnet.com. Actually, send your voicemails <laughs> to 1218-20-MAGIC. Just call. Give it a call. We're working on a British number. You know where we're really popular in? I'm not even joking. Australia. We yeah, get emails we all the do, time from yeah. Australia. And I used to get a lot so of So we need an Australian yes, number? Yes, we do, definitely. Alright, we'll get an Australian number as soon as we can. It'll be 1218-20-MAGIC. Or kangaroo. Would it be 218 it's a, it's a Horcrux. <laughs> Horcrux. It's a croc. Oh, it's croc. a Horcrux. Oh, <laughs> All right, so with that, I'm Andrew Sims. Uh, I'm Eric Skull. I'm Kevin Steck. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Jamie Lawrence. And we'll see everyone next week for episode 35. Sayo. And for two weeks only, there's a character in all of us, and now you can share your unique character with the world at showusyourcharacter.com. Join now and begin uploading your videos, photos, and profile. You can share a hidden talent, show off your celebrity impersonation, or give the Show Us Your Character community a glimpse into your life. Chat and interact with thousands of other members and get to know some of the characters of the United States. You've got what it takes to be a star. Enter the 2006 Show Us Your Character contest to find out if you're America's most unique character and you can win a chance to be featured on the computer screen, the TV screen, and even the big screen. Enter now at showusyourcharacter.com. Hey, this is Mary Ellis from Westside, Georgia. I just like to say that I love Muggle Cast and keep up the good work. Bye. Hey, Muggle Cast. My name's Katie, and I'm from outside of Atlanta, but I'm in Savannah now, and I listen to Muggle Cast all the way here, and it helps me keep my mind off of getting car sick. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Carol and Julia from Castro Valley, California, and we just have to call to say... We love you, Andrew! <laughs> Hi, my name is Erin. I go by Air Bear on the forums. Um, I'm from Worthington, Ohio, but I live in Ada currently because I'm at school. Anyway, I just want to say that I love MuggleCast. My roommate and I listen every week, and we count down like the minutes until... 
the next episode comes out and we laugh along with it. And so I just want to say thank you guys for just putting together such a great podcast. Bye. Hey, MuggleCast, this is Chelsea. Dolby. <laughs> and where her message is, and we're just going to say, We love MuggleCast! Woohoo! I am Dolby. But, yes, it's going to be on one big screen. It's going to be like, no, seriously, it's going to be like five meters by ten meters. It's going to be huge. See, wait, wait, we don't do meters here. We do. Yeah, that's like, yeah, what is five meters by ten meters? What? Sorry, Jamie. You're actually going to say, well, I do inches as well, but not for TVs. Well, actually, no, it's feet. It's feet for that. Anyway, yeah. No, but uh, wow. seriously, there's no way you. If a TV's that big, you don't talk about inches, do you? If it's like a massive one in Times Square, you don't say, "Oh, it's four thousand. It's not going to be a massive one in Times Square. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Don't lie. We can tell them now. All right, all right. It's going to be a massive one in Times Square. It's going actually, you know, with with Micah on the Today Show, with Micah on the Today Show, he can he can hook us up with Times Square. Yeah, <laughs> live from Vegas. Yeah, there's there going to be go. a ten meter wide TV in every. State, every country, and you know what? That way, uh, Melissa and Nelly, Melissa and John, they can all gather on Times Square because they're not, you know, and they can see us in Vegas having fun with all our fans. Ooh. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, they are going to be there. Oh well. Um,